Attention students, the Jabroni University Network is now in session. Please make your way to class. Our guest this week uh, is a name that has come up several times, and for good reason. He is uh, he is a part of dozens and dozens of albums that you love. In addition to uh, his prolific career as a producer uh, with, with his own studio, Salad Days, uh, he, he's a part of the band's Battery and the band Be Well, who are getting ready to do a run of shows with Comeback Kid and Strike Anywhere and One Step Closer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Brian McTurnan to Why Did We Ever Meet? Brian, how are you? Hey, Wes, what's going on, man? Not much. Uh, like I said, like because of how many, like you've worked with so many of the people that have been on the show, you know, like Josh English or Joe Grillo or the Airtype Eleven guys. Like, there's so many people that you've worked with that I was, I was like, I, I got to ask him to come on. So thank you for doing it. Yeah, no problem. I'm uh, excited to do it. So uh, the first thing I want to get into is uh, be well. I mean, you have to be excited to get back out and play, right? Um, yes. I mean, it, it, the thing that's really weird, it's funny that you mentioned Josh English because yeah, the last time that I played music was before be well, um, besides being a producer was 1998. And, um, I had been in a band called Milltown and we had just broken up and battery was in the process of breaking up. And Josh English and I were like jamming and writing songs. And we got together with Sammy Siegler mm -hmm. from every everything. band. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, we recorded a demo that was actually like really, 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 really cool. And it's like, it's crazy to have done something that cool and then been like, okay, cool. We just won't do anything. <laughs> and um, anyway, long story short, I, I moved, you know, six going on seven was about to get signed to doghouse. Siv had just made their second record. I wasn't even sure what I wanted to do. And I kind of thought, Oh, I'll move back to DC kind of, start a new band to music and yeah. that just never happened. And I just started producing record after record after record. And mm -hmm. up until, you know, up until I'd say 2018 or 2017, when I started writing the be well stuff, I literally had not played my own music in, you know, 20 years. Wow. It's kind of a great, crazy, crazy thing. Um, the, the fun, the fun thing about it is that, I kind of feel like it's an advantage in a weird way. Cause it's like, I was almost in like a hyperbolic chamber. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had all this stuff and it was like, you know, it's funny because like the be well record, I kind of like, I was, I wanted to make a record that would like, no idea what I wanted it to sound like per se, but I wanted it to feel like 
it should have come out on Jade Tree in 2000. Yes, <laughs> that's absolutely. kind of that's kind of like I wanted John Yates to do the art. I like that's just kind of like where I am. Like I just like that's when I stopped playing. I just kind of hit the pause button and I just yeah. kind of moved right, <laughs> right, right, right back to that. Yeah, yeah. You know? And and it's uh, funny. It's funny that you mentioned specifically like Jade Tree in 2000. I comes up on the show a lot but like that there's this specific phase for me especially with hardcore where i have a cutoff and it cuts off with like the more like kid dynamite lifetime battery by the grace of god like this all this melodic stuff was really like right i i knew i could count on you know something more melodic uh, then I was, then I was in, you know, and, uh, I right. mean, li- lifetime it, profoundly <laughs> influential on right. million bands, but that specific, when you say 2000 era Jade tree, there are so many people listening to this. They're going to be like, I know exactly what he was thinking. I knew exactly where his head was. <laughs> well, it, yeah, I don't know. It's just funny. Like, so I actually grew up with, um, with Tim Owen, from Jade tree. Like he went to high school with my brother and like, we went to hardcore shows together and I was just like, and then, and then I went on to make a lot of records for Jade tree, you know, and then we were always good friends. And I don't know, like for me, it was always just like, I kind of always regretted that I never had that experience. (laughs) And I just still love, I just still love that era of, yes, you know, you know, it was just so cool. It's like the perfect umbrella to have like, Strike Anywhere and Pedro the Lion and yes. uh and and Mile Marker and and Mile Marker and Promise Ring and yeah. like just all this exciting it, it, you know it's like there was like the the bands of that era they kind of it just kind of worked together well and yeah. um and yeah so anyway when I was like oh, I'm gonna make music like I know exactly what I want it to feel like, yeah. not, sa- I, I wasn't sure what I wanted it to sound like. And that was kind of a, uh, I mean, the, the cool thing was I didn't think anybody would ever hear it. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of wrote what I wanted to listen to. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and that, that's kind of where it led me. Um, and to kind of go all the way back and then we'll circle back to be well, um, well, I, and I don't want to get off that yet because I know uh, that seven inch is coming out, right? That you and Josh and it, Sammy did. Right? It is, yeah. Which is which is so cool because like Josh and I never had like a falling out by any stretch. Um, yeah. It just was like we were we were so close. Um, I mean, I kind of look at six going on seven is like the band that was like the first band I ever really got involved with the way that I get involved with bands now. Like they were kind of my, like uh, I, I mean, uh, self-made mess was very cool, but like heartbreak Scott backbeat was like the first time that I like went to the rehearsal space and we did pre-production and, Mm -hmm. you know, and we, we went and like slept at the studio while we recorded and really worked on it. I mean, still to this day, I'm very, really so, I, I don't know how the fuck we made that record so good <laughs> <laughs> with how little I actually knew. You know what I mean? It worked. I mean, you guys caught lightning in a bottle. It's such a good fucking record. I, I mean, sonically, musically, like all of those pieces fit on that album. Y- you know, what's funny is, um, 
the thrice guys thrice is a band that i went on to make a couple records with later on but yeah. and they're a big band yeah. and they um their sound guy tunes the pa to this day to heartbreak has got backbeat no shit yeah, and it's like, yeah, that's fucking cool. So it's like, <laughs> that's, it's, it's like the perfect, it's like the perfect, uh, uh, like template for him to. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so I, I always get a kick out of that, and the thrice guys will often like send me videos of it. Yes. You know, when he's doing it, and yeah. it's like I never, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, honestly, like that era um, of my life in Boston. Mm-hmm. It was just so exciting, you know, like, oh. it's like, I, I was recording, I mean, little, I didn't know it at the time, but I mean, I was just surrounded by the most incredibly talented yes. people. I mean, yeah. Josh English, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think like, like I think about the way that I think about songs and I think about bass playing and I think about writing and I just feel like Josh was the first person I ever met that took being a songwriter, like so serious. Like he never went anywhere without his notebook. Yeah. You know what I mean? His jotting down thoughts all the time. And we lived, I mean, I lived in a house with, um, with Josh and, um, Jonah Jenkins from only living witness who sang in my band at the time. And do you know, do you know, um, Jake Brennan from cast iron hike? I know Cast Iron Hike. Yes, I. Well, he's a he's actually a like a super mega huge podcast guy now. He has that Disgrace Land podcast. Oh shit! Is that him? Yeah, and he's a he's a great guy. And I mean, I just like, you know, when you're just like living and breathing every minute of your life with these incredibly talented people, you yeah. just you just get better by osmosis. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I mean, you know. It's like I was recording, I don't know, you know, I'm like 18 years old recording Texas is the Reason, Cave In, Piebald, Converge, (laughs) you know. And the funny thing is it really set me up as a producer because I got like a first uh, front row seat to like a genre being born. And You did. I mean, like, you you know, and, and it's funny because... It really helped me later on as a producer because, you know, that, those bands at that time, when I think about what I do as a producer now, I get in there and we're working on the songs, we're working right. on the arrangements, we're changing yeah. lyrics, we're changing progressions, we're changing keys. I wasn't doing any of that then. Um, I was just helping document what the bands brought in. Yeah. But what it did was it taught me what amazing was. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, that's amazing. This isn't, how do we move this to that category? And it's, I mean, I just lucked out. And, and I mean, the thing about it is it's, it's interesting. Cause I was listening to, um, I was listening to the, where it went podcast with super touch. Right. Yeah. And they yeah. were talk they were talking about how they went to this place, Normandy sound to record their album. Yeah. But it didn't matter how good it sounded because the guy that was recording it didn't understand the band. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I didn't know what I was doing with recording, but I understood the bands. Like I, I had, I, I had enough gear to capture it and I cared enough to work hard enough to make sure I didn't kind of fuck it up. Mm -hmm. But 
they didn't have to come in and say to me, listen to this. This is what we wanted to sound like. I just knew. I just knew. I grew up in the same world. We were all friends. We were all playing together. And now I also didn't realize at the time in Boston was that you, you know, you had like this like throwback straight edge scene that was really exciting, but you had like the idea of wanting to sound like someone else. (laughs) I mean, like the bands I was playing with and a lot of the bands I was working on, that idea would never even cross their mind. Sure. You know, you didn't want to sound like six on seven was like their own thing. Caven was their own thing. You know, cast iron height, converge Bane, like every, all these people were influenced by things, but totally trying to go down roads that they hadn't explored before. And, it, I didn't know I was, I didn't have like the perspective um, then to kind of realize like how special that was. Yeah. Um, we, and, and I do now, you know, and. Oh, sure. And yeah. It's Hindsight. Like, absolutely. Yeah. And it's also like, I mean, it's so funny when I think about like recording Texas as the reason and I'm like, oh, this <laughs> sounds crazy. But I was like, this is cool. This is kind of like turning rock turning point, <laughs> which is like, it doesn't sound like that at all. But what it sounded like was nothing I'd ever heard before. Yeah, so absolutely. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have the reference point of like, you know. Yeah, that was just a new thing. It was yeah. the beginning of something. And um, the funny thing about that Texas is the reason seven inches and the Kessler hike record I did was the same thing. They definitely had no thought that we were going to record something that was going to come out. Right. You know, right. Yeah. I had, I, I had played in ashes and ashes had played with shelter. So I knew Norm, mm-hmm. we had toured extensively with split lip and yeah. Garrett was their roadie. And then we had played with resurrection. So I knew Chris and it was just like, Oh, Brian's got a little basement studio. Let's go mm-hmm. lay it down. And they came up and it, we, we never even really properly mixed it. Like they had to leave on Sunday. So I just got up early and like, ran it off (laughs) and then and then i just remember getting a call from jordan cooper from revelation like hey can you send me the masters for the and being like wait what you're putting that (laughs) out (laughs) that's coming out and it was never remixed it was it it lives exactly as it was which was we started on a friday night yeah the drum room was so small that like often the drummers wouldn't even it was such a hassle to get out from behind the drum kit yeah, sure. <laughs> but they yeah. just like okay play it back in the headphones <laughs> i think norm's guitar went like in front of the washing machine and we just recorded and yeah i mean i don't know it's cool it's very cool and i was i was so young i mean it's it's crazy it's to insane think to think about too like like you're and you know i mean <laughs> i'm gonna list some of them uh I wrote, you know, I mean, I, I kind of gathered a list and I, I, for perspective, you already mentioned the Texas is the reason seven inch, which you guys couldn't have known, like this was going to set course a, a huge wave of music. Like, it, I mean, it would set the course for a huge wave of my career. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Because it, it went from like, shit, Brian's got a little spot in the basement that he records bands after he works all day at the video store to like 108 calling me like, Hey, we want to record an album. Right. Right. And you you have no business doing that. You have like 
early in your career, you've got Texas, you've got Converge, you've got Cast Iron Hike, like you said, 108. Um, who was another one? Was it was Frodus early on? Yeah, Frodus. I did a couple records for them early on. Yeah, Frodus. I mean, and then all the like Boston straight in my eyes, yes. fight, Bane. Yep. I mean, yep. all of that happened. The explosion. I mean, all that happened, yep. like trouble one of my favorite bands i've ever recorded the trouble um, um and i mean strike anywhere is in there uh yeah so that was that strike anywhere was strike anywhere was a little later so yeah yeah i i i moved to dc um i moved to i moved back to dc the, well the funny thing about my whole like little journey that boston explosion was i had all that going on but then I had started this band with Jonah Jenkins um, from Only Living Witness and Matt Squire, mm-hmm. who was in Ashes with me. And he's now gone on to be, you know, a multi, multi-platinum producer. Um, he produced he produced Panic at the Disco and, Jesus you know, all Christ. sorts of stuff. So Matt's, Matt and I had moved to Boston together and we had the intention of keeping Ashes together. And Ashes was doing really well. But it just didn't work. So we started this band Milltown that I still to this day love that stuff. And that, that EP dude, that record, uh, th- there is a huge group of my friends. We fawned over it. It is so fucking, oh, that's good. so cool. Every song on that is hot. Like, God damn that. Re- like that should yeah. be out. That's that's I, it comes up. Yeah. That, that thing should be out. People should have well, the fucking record, man. The, cr- the crazy thing about that was, we did that. That record was actually just our demo. We tracked it all live. It yeah. was, there were no overdubs. We we're all standing in the room playing, which is what I did back then because yeah, sure. it just, you kind of embrace the bleed when you don't have a lot of gear, you kind of use right. it all to build bigness. Um, but we had only played like four or five shows and I'll never forget. It's funny how these, like these little, we made these little demos and Jake Brennan um, from Castor and Hike was going to see Orange Nine Millimeter that night, and I had a session, so I couldn't go. So I give him the demo, and I'm like, "Hey, dude, if you see Mike Gitter, if he happens to be there, just give this to him." And then, what are the chances he's there? The next day, my phone rings, and he's like, "Hey, dude, I got this demo. It's fucking great." So then, you know, the music industry back then was insane. So our next show, which was our sixth show ever. Mm-hmm. Mike Gitter came out with Jason Flom, who owned Lava Records and had Civ, Matchbox 20, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And yeah. the people from this label, Giant in LA, Warner Brothers subsidiary, they yep. flew out, a couple lawyers came, all these people came, and we're like getting wined and dined. We only had those five songs, <laughs> we had only played six shows. And then in the blink of an eye, we're signing like a, you know, I mean, I probably was, you know, close to a multi-million dollar record contract. Holy shit. And the thing about that situation, and the thing that's heartbreaking about that situation is that it was just, it was the best. I mean, to this day, Rob and Jay, the the rhythm section are two of the best people I've ever played with. Mm -hmm. I think Jonah is, could have been like a Chris Cornell. Absolutely. Yes. The pipes, the authenticity, yes. the lyric writing, the, yep. all of it. Like, and then 
you know, I'm not a bad songwriter. And then Matt Squire is, you know, because he writes songs for like Ariana Grande, you know, <laughs> I mean, the components were there, yes. but it was just, we didn't have a manager. We had an inexperienced label team. And then the biggest thing was we went with the worst producer <sighs> and he didn't get it. He didn't like it. He didn't like me. He, and the, the short version of it is the band essentially spend about close to $300,000 recording a piece of garbage record that never got finished. And the label and band collectively decided to scrap. So we go into the studio and we're trying to write singles. Right. Right. And it ended with a physical altercation and, (laughs) and, and then it was just over, you know, it was done. And so the record, the record was never finished. I mean, some of the new stuff we were writing was so, so good. And that's so hard. And then, (laughs) so the funny thing about it was, so I stayed in Boston for a little while and Josh and I were writing songs, Yeah, but I kind of felt like, He's got six going on seven. Six going on seven felt like an important band. I agree completely. Yes. I I think that if, if I don't think American is a bad record, but I think that if that had been a little bit edgier, maybe. um, Okay. I think it it, it could have been a really big record. I mean, Josh is a. When you say edgy, what, like, what do you mean? Like looking back. It got um, It just got a little like, well, okay. So one of the reasons that one of the things is I think that I don't think that Josh's bandmates ever really wanted to be in the emo, whatever. Sure. Yeah, sure. And I think that they just kind of went and tried to make like a very adult record, which they did. Yeah. And it's good. Yeah. So yeah. The, I don't know that, I don't know that they could write a bad song if they tried. No, it just wasn't, it didn't have that like intensity and that kind of like, you know how like Josh's voice is like just on the edge, like he's just getting there, and yes. it's so like yeah. God damn, yeah, you know, yeah. it just didn't have it. It just didn't. It was missing a thing that I always thought was like really important about that band, but I didn't know that at the time, and I just thought like this band we're working on isn't going to happen. I'm just going to go back to DC and start my life over, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and um, and 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 I did, and then I kind of also felt like. After Milltown broke up, I kind of felt like, you know, you put all this energy into a band and the band, you know, one person can end it all. Yes. And I just kind of felt like I didn't want my life to be like that. And the production stuff was going so well. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't remember where we even started. It's all right. This is exactly (laughs) what I wanted. And you two points I would have hit. What you said about Josh is spot on. Like that his voice, his lyrics, his song. Yeah. My God, like just supremely talented. I love that guy. I, he's, he's incredible. Yeah. Well, so the, the funny thing is I am a huge bass guy. I love bass. I grew up in DC and DC just historically had the best bass players. And the yeah. bass was always, was always like a major part of yep. the band, like soul yep. side, Fugazi, yep. beef eater. Like it was just I mean, even Minor Threat, it's like the bass was like in the forefront and that wasn't very common. You know, I mean, yeah, you, you, you would have some bands with notable bass players, but I remember the first time Six Going on Seven came in and 
um, we did the recording the song Method Actor, which I still think is an incredible song. Oh, God. And just being like, <laughs> I, I just remember being like, holy shit, like, this is, dude, is like, he always had the best tone. He was super yeah. tight. And, yeah. and um, it was just, you know, it's just like, a, I mean, I don't know, like, I, I kind of like, I'm so grateful to all of those people from that yeah. era, because yeah. like, it's kind of like, I always use this reference, like, with when I was a skateboarder, my friends weren't very good. I was like maybe the best out of my group of friends. And, and then one day I like started skating downtown and realized like, wow, I'm not good at all. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have anybody pushing me. I didn't have anybody raising the bar where it was kind of the opposite with music. Like I was living with Josh Inglis and Jake Brennan. I was recording Piebald and Converge and Caven yeah. at night. Like I had to step my game up. I mean, they, I, you know, and, and I do think that there's something about, you know, whatever a rising tide raises all shifts. Like yep. it, it was like that then everybody was, it wasn't competitive. It was exciting. It was like, Oh shit. Did you hear how good this is? Like, you didn't want to write songs that weren't on the level of your peers. Right. So you right. had to work at it. Milltown used to rehearse like five nights a week. Like it, it was like, and then I would come home and I would rehearse everything with a metronome super slow and slowly speed it all up. And I just wanted to have that muscle. I just wanted to be good. I just wanted to be good. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's kind of like, I'm really big in life on just kind of wanting to always know, that I did the best I could, yes. which is like a weird thing. There's so many things that you can't control. Yes. Like, especially with records, with producing records, I, I really can't control, you know, if people are going to buy it, if people are going to like it or if people, you know, any, there's so much that goes into it. The thing I can control is like giving a hundred percent. And, and if I give a hundred percent and it doesn't turn out the way that you know, it doesn't end up being the huge success everybody thought it was going to be, or the band doesn't like the drum sound or, you know, right. the stuff that right. just happens. I can live with that. Cause I did the best I could. Now, yeah. if I'm distracted and I've got drama at home and I'm not focused and, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't spend enough time with the demos going in or right. I, then, I mean, I'll tell you when those things have happened and they've happened to everybody that I, I could still, I still think about it. It's not healthy, <laughs> but <laughs> I do. Um, and you, you mentioned some of the two with Milltown, like that something that like it, I, I talked to Artie Shepard from Airtype 11 and instruction yeah. a while back. And he kind of described it the same way of like, because the music industry is so fucking weird. And it was weird at that time anyway, like the time that Milltown right. existed, the record industry was really fucking strange. So like, you guys had all of these pieces, but it's still very combustible because it's, you guys are coming from your punk rock roots. Like the wine and dining well, the, is really fucking weird. Well, the other thing that was weird about it and, and like, I didn't realize how weird it was at the time was Matt and I were like 19 and everybody else yeah. was 27, 28. Sure. And like, it's funny because I think by the time I was 27 or 28, like I could have managed that a lot. Yeah, I I just didn't have the maturity and experience to like know like, hey, 
shit's bad. Let's, let's just take a minute. You know what I mean? Like we have something special. Why doesn't everybody just go home? Let's take a couple of weeks and let's regroup. Let's go have dinner. Let's talk it. Let's, but we didn't do that. We got in fist fight, never talked again. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I, 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 I realize as a producer, like so much of it is like understanding people's idiosyncrasies and like personalities and putting people in the position to succeed and being adaptable so that you, you know, like, like, I'm not going to say the band, but one of the biggest records I've ever done, the guitar player was like, OCD. Right. And he had all this weird stuff about even and odd numbers. Like if he did the first part of a song, he wanted to do the third. If he did the second, he wanted to do the fourth. And the first record we did together, I just fought him about like, this is insane. It's fucking fun. And then it's like, you know what? Who cares? Okay, cool. You like, I got it. We're, we have to do the second. So we're going to do the fourth. Like, yep. It, it comes with, it comes with age, right? It comes with maturity. Right. Yeah. Right. But you guys Which were all growing up together though. That's the other thing. We were, and the thing about the Milltown thing that was crazy is it all happened in the course of a year. Holy and shit. so, uh, so unlike the horror stories that you hear of all these other bands, it really wasn't like that at all. Like we signed way too early. We didn't have a manager. Mm-hmm. Nobody in the band had experience. With, yeah. I mean, I had experience with battery, but that was like, you know, I just, you know, you show up and jump around and give the mic out to kids. Yeah. Like yeah. that was like my extent of like music business. And all of a sudden we're like negotiating producer contracts and meeting Jesus with right. the, 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 the biggest thing is we just bought the labels pitch hook, line and sinker. Like yeah. we had a list of producers that we all really wanted to work with. Okay. That, they were like, they pitched us on this concept, which makes sense when you hear it out loud, which was, hey, this band has such a distinct sound that you've already developed. Mm-hmm. And Brian knows how to record. So you don't need to go with some sonic guy. You need to go with someone that can really capture Jonah's vocals. Like, take Jonah to the next level vocally. Right. And so, I mean, I kind of was like, Oh, that, you know, it makes sense. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah. So, so we went with this guy, Toby Wright, who had done like Alice in Chains and Kiss and sure. all this stuff. The reality is so much of making a record with a band as a producer is respecting the band, understanding the yeah. band, caring about the band, yep. putting time in to invest in having a meaningful relationship with the members of the band. Yeah. So this guy came in and was like, oh, Matt Squire, he can play sweeping arpeggios. Like, he's awesome. Brian, he's just playing, like, what, what do we need him for, right? <laughs> Little did he know that Matt and I always had this amazing relationship where, like, he's the kind of guy that could write 50 songs and throw them at you, and I was the kind of guy that could pick the 10 that were special yeah and we could could kind of develop the sound of the band where he could write hits all day yeah and it was like you kind of need both of those things absolutely in 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 milltown you did and so so he really like he this guy like really isolated like 
me from the process and did not understand the role that I played in the band, which was like the, the guy that developed the sound, you know, right, the guy that right. like, like, um, so I don't know. It was a, you know, the, the interesting thing for me about that was I actually took out of that actually a confidence as a producer. I was kind of like, you know what? That guy fucking sucked. Yeah. Like, he knew yeah. how to use all the buttons but like what I do with bands, like they love me and I love them. And mm-hmm. like, you know, I'd stand in a, in, in front of a bus for most of these guys where yeah. he, he, he didn't give a shit about us at all. And no caring, man, I'll tell you what, it goes a long way. Yes, it does. Yeah. And, and that like, like, cause I, I hear like, and just that, just that EP that was you guys' fucking demo, like hearing that from an audience perspective, what what was there not to get? Like this was right. There was so well, the, there. Jonah's I mean, voice you, is you know, insane. Like, ugh. yeah. Well, Jonah did really well in, on the record, but he he he's gonna do well always. He's like, you know, a once in a lifetime talent. Yeah. You know, yeah. kind of guy. Um, but but the thing was, I wanted it to be this like edgy thing that was like one part Texas is the reason and it sounds really weird to say but like kind of mixed with like a little bit of like sound gardeny type oh, of that's not like, weird at all yeah like 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 I wanted that kind of like like if I had dreamt it up it would have been like Texas is a reason meets the cure meets Soundgarden with yep. Jonah's voice because I thought we could do it in a less way less kind of cock rocky way. Of course. But the cool thing was when we played, we were hardcore kids. So we like, you know, you put on a show. Yeah. We put on, we put on a show. So I think that like, you know, ultimately he did not like any of that. He didn't like the vision. He didn't like the sounds. He didn't like that. We wanted to track live. He wanted, when we met with him, the, the, the funny thing about how different music is now is back then using a click track was like controversial. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now it's kind of like controversial to not use a click. Track. It's like, I'm begging bands all the time. Like, dude, let's not use this fucking click track. This is stupid. <laughs> and bands are like, wait, what? But then it's not going to be in time. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> it <will>. anyway, <laughs> it'll be fine. You play together and nobody, the click track doesn't come with the record. Nobody no, will know. No, right? no, no, one, no, no one listening is, is clamoring for like, oh, did they play this one? No, no one gives a shit about a click track. Um, yeah. So a, not- anyway, we, we, we showed up and he had told us when we met with him that he didn't, you know, he wanted to keep it raw. He wanted to keep it live, blah, blah, blah. And then when we finally got to the studio, he dropped on our drummer. Oh, we got to use the click track. And he had never even played to a click track. And so this was all on tape before you could really clean things up. Right. And it was just, it added a lot of stress. Of course. To the, yeah. yeah. You're the, the record that you guys knew was completely complicated by this guy wanting to be like, Hey, that's what you do. I'm going to change everything. And it's, well, and it was like, he never brought it up in pre-production. So it's funny because again, I took that as, like I always prepare bands for like, listen, this is what I feel like needs to happen. Like right. this is where 
this is where uh, what I want to do with the songs. This is how the process is going to go. And by the time they go to record, it should be second nature. What's about to happen. Right. Um, right. And it wasn't like that at all. So, but I took a lot away actually of like, you know what? I might not be experienced yet, but like what I do is different, you know, than what he does. Like, yeah. And like my relationships with my bands I'm working with, is much healthier and much more meaningful. And I feel like, you know, bands just being comfortable enough to like express themselves and not feeling stupid with trying things. Mm -hmm. That's just a big deal. I mean, that, I think that is way more important than like a kick drum sound any day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you look at like, you talk about like that era, that Boston era there where like everything's happening. And I like, I know this cause I'm in my early twenties when this is all going on. So like the explosion cave in garrison, um, yep. oh God, who else is in there? Uh, six going on seven Converge is in there. Like all of this music is happening all at the same yeah. time. And there's this, this insane scene and these bands, like Caven starts really taking off. Uh, and Pieball. Pieball. Pieball started taking off. Uh, the explosion started to, all these bands start, start getting huge. And it was kind of cool because I, I remember like, if it was on J Tree, I liked it. If it was on Red, you know, it was a label thing. Your name was also something synonymous with records that people from my generation loved. If your name was oh, on the record, sweet. it was like, oh shit, well, I'm gonna listen to this. I like your your part in Reach the Sky was, was right. one of the draws for me of like, yeah, I'll give these guys a whirl. And I fucking I love I love those records. Oh yeah. Sadly, I was just at Stu's funeral last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. Which is which was heartbreaking. Oh, oh. Heartbreaking. I feel like they just announced those benefit shows and then he passed. I just, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was his, his service. I didn't go to the show. I went to the service and it was, Mm -hmm. it was beautiful, man. He was, he was a real sweetheart. It's funny because it's funny because sometimes you have guys in bands like, I never talked to him outside of the studio, really. You know, we would message from time to time, but it's like, I never, we did like five records together and I don't think I ever had his cell phone number, but it oh, was like, shit. yeah, yeah. It's funny. It, like some people are like that. Like, I think I discovered that Garth from strike anywhere, I may have recorded him more than like any other person ever. And when we were just finishing the new strike anywhere, I'm like, Oh, let me text him. And I'm like, Oh, I've never talked to him <laughs> on the phone or emailed or texted. Like, but he's like a, an awesome friend, which I kind of love too. Yeah, yeah. Because there were friendships before text messaging. There were, yeah. despite what people were. <laughs> understand about communication. I, I try and explain that to my daughter, and she's oh, like, "Yeah, I have a, my teenage son will like I, they they only like they don't even text like they just use Snapchat." To message you. Oh, we're not there yet, but oh gosh, because we're we were still. I, my daughter's thirteen, so my okay. wife's got like some some clampdowns on the old phone. We we have uh, we have little surprise check ins. Like there is a, there is the whole thing, and you guys know this with the trust of like we want to build. Yeah, something. but also like I have a teenage son who has a teenage girlfriend, and I have right. I have to be mindful of like. 
you know, I, I don't want him to make dis, you know, make rash decisions. I have to right. think of it from the perspective of this is someone else's daughter who they're entrusting. Right. My wife and I, you know, it's that, that sort of like, yeah, no, no. I mean, that balance is always, is always good. And I always just say to my daughter, listen, you can tell, like, I want you to be able to yes. tell me anything. Yes. And yeah. like, it'll be fine. But yeah, we had like a little bit of a, like, I think we gave her a little bit too long of a leash when she first got a phone and she yeah. kind of like went down this TikTok rabbit hole of, and then you start realizing she's got all these weird thoughts. Like, yeah. this is not, not appropriate. It's weird right now. Yeah. yeah. So I, my, my son, uh, and that's another issue we ran into is because he's a fairly public person. He's, you know, he's done film acting, you know, uh-huh. stage work, that sort of stuff. So like, he was, uh, you know, has been a public person for, a, you know, a good part of his, like, his youth. But there's also right. aspects of it where, like, you're still, like, you have to protect it. You know, like, yeah, where, like, I don't know who the fuck this is. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't want you to communicate. Like the, other, the, the other thing is, like, like my daughter had a, a Tumblr for a period of time. And I, and, and, and I was trying to explain to her, like, you know, the thing about putting things online is, they may never go away. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. this, like you do have to be a little bit careful. Yes. Yes, you do. About and, that stuff. And it's shit that like, I, like there's aspects of like their, their development is so much different than ours was, you know, like, right. I, it, like I do know that they, they, you know, like using music as an example, my son finds his own bands that he wants to listen to. And right, you know, like he knows he can go back here and pull any records out and listen to right room on his turntable, but he's also finding his own shit and yeah. has a lot more of a varied palette than I did at, at his age. Like, you right. know, he, he like I didn't have that variance, it was all like punk, hardcore, <laughs> post art, right? That was it, that was all it was. That was my yeah. and he's got all you know, yeah. like they have all of this, they're inundated all the time, yeah. And like, it's the learning curve of like our, their communication methods are so much different than ours. I know. Well, the interesting thing though, is that when I was my daughter's age, I was getting in lots of trouble. You know, I was, I was doing graffiti. I was getting in fights. Like my parents, I think back at like my brother and I would go and go to shows in New York city when I was like 13 years old and (laughs) I just, I mean, we took the bus to the worst neighborhoods and we like, <laughs> it, I, it's crazy to me because my daughter is in so, you know, in some ways they have all of this new stuff, but in, in other ways, she's, she's a lot more sheltered in, than I was. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yes, you know? absolutely. And I think that's the variance that people don't see is we were going to shows as teenagers in sketchy places. Right. Um, he still is going to get on his skateboard and ride around with his earbuds in, going to do normal teenager shit. But there's things that I did that there's no way he'll ever do. Like I, because right. I can look back and what the fuck was I doing? Like, why was I, Yeah. like, what, what right. was I doing? Like just taking, like sneaking out in the middle of the night, like four of us taking a parent's car. There's not a licensed oh. driver in oh. the car. Insane. Listen, when, when I was in eighth grade, I was really starting to become totally out of control. <laughs> and I used to steal my parents' car all the time. And my parents were so dysfunctional. 
that instead of like talking to me about it, my dad put a chain around the steering wheel and like locked this, would put like a padlock, a padlock? And a chain <laughs> so that I couldn't drive the car. Yeah. And it's yeah. like so funny how different my daughter, like, you know, I don't know. It's just, oh no, I, I just, I've had that, this conversation with my son where I'm like, dude, no matter what, if you're somewhere and you're fucked up and you need a run, don't hesitate. Call yeah. us. Like, I don't want you, like, we'll deal with the shit afterwards. And he's like, yeah. why do you think I'm getting fucked up all the time? I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm deflecting my bullshit onto you. But yeah. Like- well, it's, it's funny you say that. Cause my wife was like, said to my daughter, like, we, we have to come up with like, uh, something you can say when, if you call me and you say this, I'm going to know, come pick you up. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And she was looking at her like, what do you, why would I ever be in a situation where I needed you to pick me up in an emergency? And I'm like thinking to myself, oh, because that's how this shit works. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's pretty um, funny. So when, when I look at all, like all of these incredible records you've worked on, what and a lot of it, you like you were you're friends with these bands. These are people you know, like you formed bonds with them. But if you look at that whole career, like what are the ones to you that you look at that you're the most like? Not saying one band, you know, you value more one more than the other, but what are the ones that you are you hold the dearest to you? Because there has to be ones in there that are just are precious. Uh, I think like like for for different reasons. So okay, so I think this is hard because there's so many records I love. So I'm just going to pick things that are like kind of mile markers for me. Yeah, sure. Um, Yep. um, I think, you know, that six going on seven heartbreaks got backbeat. Like to me, that was the first time I did a record where I was like, okay, we fucking killed that. That's, that's what it's supposed to feel like. And you did. Right. (laughs) That's Um, an incredible album. And then, and, and it was just like, you know, it was like, I don't know. We worked really hard on it. We had a lot of fun and it just came out well beyond what it should have. Right. <laughs> you know, given the, 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 you know, I was, I think 19, 20 years old. The limit, the yeah, so, you had a limited amount of experience at that point. Um, and I think it holds up, you know, um, yes, I think that um, the next record that kind of around that time that like, interestingly, you know, I think I did a good job of capturing it, but I didn't have as much involvement in like, you know, Cave and Jupiter is definitely Steve Brodsky's brainchild, but that opened my, we tracked that record entirely live. They played all that live in the room together. And that was the first, that like changed the way I thought about like, texture on a heavy record like the effects and just the bigness and the like dirty bass and the airy guitars and keeping all that stuff on just two that that really like it kind of was like wow that is like some what when next level when they come into you with that material because we could see the evolution you've got that ep that comes out before jupiter is it creative eclipses yeah, 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 yeah. You hear it. Well, so the funny thing that happened with Creative Eclipses is 
they did until your heart stops with Kurt. And then I ended yes. up saying to Steve, like, dude, if you ever have some stuff that you would, it's just like, I love your like melodic singing. Mm-hmm. If you ever have anything that's just like that, let's just track it. I'll do it for free. It would be fun. And then we did creative calypses and that was fun. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, no you're good. I, when they come in with that material for Jupiter, because that is like, I mean, uh, that record is j- uh, otherworldly in terms of like the influence. I just, I just and lost you. You here? You good? Yes, I'm here. Yes. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, okay. I lost you for a, a quick you're second. You're good. Yeah. That with Jupiter, an album that is like so profound as far as like where it stands out in that era of music. Right. When they come in with that material, like wh- what is that process like? Because that record is. I mean, I saw them a few times on that tour and um, they're just an an incredible, incredible band. That is an incredible record. One of the best our generation has to offer by far. I think so. And I honestly, with that record, it was more just like we, we have, I mean, I had recorded, I think the first time they ever recorded was with me. And I think we just had like trust, you know, like I think that like, you know, like I was starting to be more experienced and they were just like really, um, shining as songwriters. And, um, I really didn't have much to do. Like as a producer on that record, my job was just kind of get out of the way and capture it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like get the right performances. And and we tracked that all live, all the music live. And then Steve came back to my house in DC and we tracked all the vocals and then we went back to Boston and mixed it. Wow. When, yeah. What, what is the, when you're recording that record with them, was there a track that stood out to you as the one that you were like, Holy shit. Like the, well, he's on another I, yeah. writing level at this point. I, I, the, the, the innuendo and I'll be, I don't know. I don't ever know the song names. I think, innuendo and big riff were big riff. i mean Holy honestly shit. all yeah. all of them jupiter yeah. new moon like yeah I, I don't know it was just like i had never heard music like that i nope. mean honestly nope. and i had never seen people get in a room <laughs> and i've never seen it again that's not true i've seen people play pretty well live together but that was a holy shit. This is some next level shit. I mean, I just couldn't. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. In it's unreal. And, it's an unreal um, album. But but really, I mean, Steve Brodsky is the genius behind that record. I mean, I think I did a good job of th- having the right environment, getting the right tones, and kind of trusting them enough to put them in a situation to make such a daring record. Yeah. But the real brilliance behind that record is the band you know as it is with 90 always but but that one that one in particular that was like one they just they had they were so good and two they were so fearless like yeah until your heart stops was the like hottest fucking shit ever and they're like oh you like that okay we're just gonna (laughs) totally change it we don't care at all you know i and I didn't fall in love with them until Jupiter. Like, yeah, that. Well, the, the interesting thing with Jupiter was when it first came out, people didn't like it. Oh, and it yeah. was like, you know, it took some time and like, it took them just going out and fucking playing it and letting everybody scream for the old shit. And then being like, no, we're going to like, Nope. 
play our guitars with ray guns and fucking change the the world here you know there was a distinct it's a funny thing when i think about what their live shows look like then because there is that divide of like right guys like myself who were like into more of like the the post-hardcore thing where, you know, into the, you know, that sort of stuff, the more melodic, the singing, the experimental stuff. And then the guys that wanted the heavy shit, you know, and right. like there was like that album, they drew a line in the sand. Like it wasn't intentional, but it was like, you can come with us or not, but this is, yeah. we're going down a different road. I remember going to see them play with Converge in Baltimore, like very soon after we made it and people like not being stoked and me being like, Oh God, <laughs> what, what have I done? Cause I was all about it. I mean, I was like, I was like, we, when we were doing creative eclipses, I was like, dude, this, I mean, I don't think that EP is as brilliant. It's good, but it's not Jupiter. But I think it's not it's, Jupiter. No, no. It, 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 it. I was like, this is fucking cool. Like, yes. you yes. should, you should do this. <laughs> yes. And, um, you know. So yeah, I mean, that so, was so that Jupiter. Obviously, so Jupiter, obviously, another mile mark. So Jupiter, and then I would say the next kind of like mile marker for me would probably be hot water music flight in a crash. And, yeah. and one, one of the things about that record was I had done some pretty successful records at that time, Yeah, but hot water music was the first band that was like, Hey, you didn't do our seven inch and in, our demo and then our seven inch and then our EP. And then it just makes sense to do the record. They were like a hot band that signed a big contract with Epitaph and was like, let's do this with Brian. Yes, And in the same way that Texas is the reason made it like totally okay to be like, we'll go, let's go record with Brian. Like hot water kind of did that at the next level, you know? And, and it was kind of like, it was kind of like, Oh, like Brian's you, you can be on a big label and not have had him record your demo yes. and yeah. still make a record with him. And and interestingly about that record is that that was a very tense record. It was not an enjoyable record. I mean, we were, I was like coming into my own as a, a more of a producer producer where I had like, like this should be tighter. This change yep. should be like, you know, get, getting a little more involved. And they were these like wild animals that had <laughs> never, ever, Nope. I mean, they're so good that I don't think anybody yeah. had ever said to them, this could be better. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so interestingly about that record is one of the things that I took from that was that my approach was not that it, it you can't take the same approach with every, everybody. So, so I kind of like, wasn't nuanced enough with how I tried to push them. And it yeah. ended up being like this explosion. And the interesting thing was there's a couple of things that were interesting. First of all, all this is happening while Brett Gerwitz decides to come and spend a week in the studio with us. <sighs> and so it's like, I'm like 22 years old and Brett Gerwitz is sitting on the couch in the back of the room and Chris Wallard telling me I'm a fucking asshole. Oh. And it was just like, 
Yeah, it's, my wife. My wife tells this amazing story about the first time she ever met Chris Wallard, and she was in grad school at the time. And my, my studio was like I built a building behind the house. Yeah, and the bands lived in the basement, and the the studio was in the back. And she gets home, and Chris Wallard's standing outside smoking a cigarette, and she's like, "Hi!" And he just looks at her and waves and goes, "Your husband's a fucking asshole." <laughs> <laughs> But the beauty of it is I still talk to Chris like every day, you know what I mean? So, yeah. So, I mean, all of those guys, you know, like we're, you know, so the, the interesting thing that happened with that record was fuck. Brett was there. Yeah. God, dude. Yeah. It was, it was really cool. I I, know the other thing I remember that was so funny was he was, he was there and it was like, he was like, you guys ever heard this band refused? And I'm like, yeah, battery yeah. just played with them. They're awesome. And he's like, it's kind of like blowing up. It's kind of weird. It's like, I don't know what's happening, but like every week it's selling a little bit more and more, yeah. but it was like right before that happened. Right before it popped um, off. Yeah. So anyway, I man, I'm sorry. I don't no, do this is, you get to have this to, is what, this is what I wanted. Like this is, yeah. this is what the show is. It's well, so Interestingly, I would probably say the next mile marker is actually Hot Water Music Caution because what happened was we finished Flight in a Crash. And I think that I don't think there was a person in the room that thought we would ever work together again. Like, I don't think (laughs) I don't think it, it, it wasn't like I knew the record was good. Yeah. Yeah. I loved them. I respected them. I know they respected me and loved me, but it was like very tense tense and um and then and then they went out and they did a tour with caven and thrice and i went to the show and i can't remember that this may not be exactly what happened but i remember riley from thrice said to me like hey you might want to talk to george (laughs) he's like said some like stuff that's kind of you know, weird. And that was like essentially a Brian McTurnan tour, you know, it's cave in thrice yeah. hot water hot music. Water. Yeah. And so, so we talked and George was like, yeah, man, I did not like how you like, I don't, I didn't re-, he was like, I, I realize now with some distance that like you weren't wrong about the things you were right suggesting, but I didn't like how you suggested them. And and um, I kind of realized that, and I realize it now, because now I don't have those problems with bands. Like, I'm way more hands-on with tweaking things and changing things. Yeah. But because I was so young and I didn't have the confidence yet, and it, I think things came off with an edge. Okay. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Instead of it being like, hey, you know what would make this better? You know, it was more like, you're doing this wrong. Right, right. And And so we had this talk and and then it was kind of like, after we had this big talk, it was kind of like, I was saying to him, well, I think you're right. And I think I could have handled it better, but you guys kind of put me in a tough position because the record wasn't totally written and you guys were drinking a lot and Berkowitz was there. And it was like, it, you know, I think I could have handled it better. And I think you guys could have, you know, and then, a couple of weeks later, Jason called me, Jason Black, and was like, yeah. how would you feel about making another hot water record? <laughs> um, but it would need to be different. 
you know? So I was like, let's do this. I'll get on a plane. I'll come down there. We'll hang out. We'll work on some songs. We'll just see what the vibe is. So we went and we had this just, I don't know, kind of a, again, a career defining conversation where they basically said to me, we felt like you were stressed out and you didn't let us experiment enough. And like, we wanted to get more different sounds and we wanted it to be a little bit more fun. And we wanted, you know, that, and I was able to say to them, okay, what I would need from you in order to have that kind of environment is I need all the songs done. I need all the lyrics written and I need you guys to be like getting along. And I need this to be like a more pop, like, so to this day, one of the highlights of my like recording career is we had this great pre-production down there. And then they drove up to my studio overnight from Gainesville. And so the basement to my, the basement of the house had its own separate entrance where the band slept. So I came down in the morning to like wake them up and say, what's up. And I walk up to the door and they had taped all the lyrics for the whole record to the door. So the first thing I saw when I came down was like, we're holding up our end of the bargain. Nice. (laughs) And you know what? I'm gonna, I mean, this might be a hot take, but I don't think there are that many records that have better lyrics than that record. You won't get an argument out of me on that. I, I think that when, when a record helps you know someone better in like yes, a really absolutely. authentic way. Yep. It's, you can't ask for more than they're that. Very, you know, they're very like, and those guys wrote pretty raw open lyrics to begin with. Like they would, they were showing themselves, but caution using some of those tracks, like just like trusty chords is, you know, the most obvious example, but like you're, you're, these guys really were exposing themselves on that record in a, in a good way. Oh. Like they're, you know, they're, they're laying their themselves out on the line. Well, the interesting thing about that was I was remixing it for a re-release on vinyl when I was, when I was like starting to write the be well record. And I okay. just remember being like, I, I mean, I'll never be able to write like Chris Waller, but like he fearlessly, told the world what was going on with him on that record. Yeah. And, yeah. and like, and, and it's so funny because it's like, you listen to music and it's just like, Oh, these are words. I love this. Yeah. This is catchy. Yeah. I want to yeah. sing along, but it's like, now I'm kind of like, now that you see what has gone on with him as he struggled with like anxiety and can't perform live anymore and, yep. or doesn't want to perform live. Yep. Um, you realize like, dude, was fucking right there. It, uh, the whole time. I agree. completely. It, the whole time. Yep. You know, and, and, and like, and it's shameful that I never said, Hey bud. Yep. Are you okay? Like, right. Right. It's here. Yep. I said, I fucking love these songs. I want to put the windows down and turn it up and yeah. play yeah. this for everybody. Yep. And, and I just didn't see it. And, and I guess that like, I mean, I, I don't know. So, so that one, that one is, that was, that was a big one. Um, for me he, and then I hope he knows how much he's affected people's lives. Oh, I think so. Let, I'm gonna tell you, um, he's affected my I, life and he and Chuck in huge ways. Like, hot, yeah. water mu- hot water music is the first thing I heard after trying to take my own life. 
Oh, wow. and, and it was a like, I'll be okay. I can, I can get better. And like, I, I, I credit them. Like they helped me get over the hump of like, I have yeah. to keep going. Well, so I, I, you can take from this. I don't think I can like say too much about this. No, understood. I, yeah. I just spent a whole lot of time with them. And Chris is in the, the best place that I've ever seen him be in. And it like, it sincerely like, warms my soul to see him in the place that he's at right now. Like he, he is grounded and like, and writing amazing shit, playing awesome, super involved with the band and has like, would kind of (laughs) like, like we were having, we were, we were working on something and there was like, there, there was like, some tension and some argument about something. And he essentially gave like a Ted talk about like, I can't remember what he said. He said, we're here to serve the song, not have the song serve us. Right. Like, and I was just like, yeah, fucking like, (laughs) just like, I don't know. I mean, it was like, he just has, he has like, you know, he has like some real clarity on his life. Like I, I mean, I, when all that stuff came up with hot water where he like wasn't going to play anymore and and all that stuff, I I was like, Oh my God. Like, and I had this picture of him. It's like his life is fucking wrecked and he's living in some like, you know, blown out apartment and can't function. And it's the total opposite. His, um, his wife is like an angel sent from the gods. He has this incredible house with a great yard and these awesome dogs. And mm-hmm. he, it's funny when the world looks at something as like, Hey, I don't want to perform live anymore as like, Oh my God, he must be doing whatever. Where in actuality, he's admitting what he can and can't do. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was the step towards healing for him. And like, he, you know, the funny thing is out of all those guys, he's the guy that likes to be in the studio the most. Yeah. yeah. You know, where Chuck is just would be happy to fucking play 365 days a year. But that balance between them is what makes them a a, yep. a brilliant band. And that relationship between those two, I mean, I don't know, both it's, be on the Mount Rushmore of punk. You know I, what I mean? Oh, like, absolutely, man. Like I like no division is the first record I heard and in, in that like kind of, you know, it, shortly after the event took place and I, w- I went to reach out for help, that was the first thing I heard was no division. And then the first record I bought after I started going to counseling and getting better was the air type 11 game face split. So like, those are two albums, like, yeah. No, you know, like no division is a full length, you know, it's a part of their catalog. And then that split is a split between two bands, but they're huge points in my life. Like you yeah. talk about these records being my yeah. those guys, and I and I, I really hope Chris knows like he is affected, not just me, I countless people. That music those guys made has affected people in such a huge way and had such an impact. Like talking about things where it's like it's okay, it's okay to not be okay. 
And we have to be okay to right. talk about that. Right. Well, the cool thing I think for Chris is that I think that he took the component out of it that he can't handle. And it's given right. him an opportunity to enjoy the part of it that he loves the most. Yep. Yep. And that's the thing that I wish that hot water fans understood more because it's like every time they post something, they're like, is Waller going to be there? Is yeah. Waller going to be there? Yeah. It's kind of like, Hey, you fucking asshole. Listen to the goddamn lyrics. That guy is the realest motherfucker. And he can't play. He doesn't yep. want to, it's not good for him to play. Yep. Just appreciate that. Like that they have the healthiest, situation where Chris Cresswell and Chris Wallard are fucking like brothers. Yeah. It isn't some fucked up drama. It's the perfect situation. Yep. And, and Chris Wallard is writing and playing and he's a huge part of the band and he's, it's not good for his mental health to, to to play live. He doesn't enjoy it anymore. So you don't even want to see him there. No, because Like, you, you know, for your own personal gain, you want like one of the most important songwriters in punk and hardcore to ever exist to put himself through agony. Right. Like, fuck right. you. For your own entertainment, like, you know? And and even the way that the band does the business with Chris Waller, he still participates in everything. Like, they're a family and like in the way you would hope everybody would take care of each other, but don't. Hot Water does everything the right way. Like I love that. I love it. Yeah. So, and, and that's, um, I think like, it, it, you know, and it see like the other day seeing a picture posted with him with the Sam, I am guys. Oh yeah. Like I got, yeah. you know, like I got, yeah. you know, I got goosebumps. Like I, there's so much of like the, these bands that are so poignant in, in our lives and the music they make. And we don't think in the context of like, you know, like through, throughout the whole pandemic, all of all any of us were thinking was, I can't wait to go see live bands again. I'm glad to know that Chris Wallard is still picking his guitar up and expressing himself and we'll get to enjoy it on a record. There's like, I'm going to tell you that he's not only picking his guitar up, but it's like, he is on another plane of existence with his guitar playing oh, right now. That's, it's that's like, awesome. it's, it is, I, I'm like watching him. And I'm like, how is that sound coming out of like, it doesn't even look like he's moving his hands. Ugh. And that, well, it's, like the other, ba- the, the other band, the record that came out this year, uh, Sh- uh, Ship, Ship Thieves. Yeah. Ship, oh my yeah. God. That record's so good. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he's great. And he's just a sweetheart. I mean, I all those guys, I, I like, I love all those guys. And it's been really awesome to get to know Chris Cresswell because I never knew him. And, okay. um, and you know, he's just a total sweetheart. That's so that's awesome. Um, so yeah, the one thing I want to like, and I like, I, I'm going to have to have you back on because there's so many other things yeah. I talk to you about. Um, yeah, but anytime. One, one thing I do want to really discuss um, is your your new band, Be Well. And yeah, sure. Discuss that record. I've mentioned it to you already um, uh, just over email, even when I reached out to you about coming on the show. Uh, I can tell you as a married father of two, <laughs> yeah. that record right now like that record is have like is a real um it there there are certain things that i'm taking on as mantras like dealing with mental health is something i've dealt with 
was the majority of my life in struggling yeah. and with that. And the lyrics on this record are, are hitting all of the right notes for me. It's, it, it is a, uh, it, it's having a really positive effect on me. It's something I'm, I'm kind of latching onto right now. Um, I love that. I appreciate that. Well, you know, the interesting thing about the record is, I mean, I, this is going to sound very, very dramatic, but in a lot of ways it, it saved my life because I had gotten really, I mean, the short version is I had struggled with like, you know, mental illness my entire life. And, and I think when I was a kid, I just kind of like turned it into anger. And then when I was coming up producing, I just poured everything into the records and I, and, and, but over time, I mean, as I don't think people realize that like the lifestyle of being a producer is really, it's a lot of stress. And especially like, you know, if you kind of push the way that I push, you know, and you put that kind of like weight on yourself. Um, and like, you know, it was always fine. And once my daughter was born, it was like, you know, my wife has, I, I, trying to work till midnight and then get up with my daughter at six o'clock in the morning. And blah, blah, blah. and so I was really, I was really not happy. And I kind of made like one radical change after the other. Like at first I was like, I had this huge studio and the overhead was like totally out of control. And that was yeah. a lot of pressure too. So I kind of was like, okay, I'm going to sell the building, get a less expensive space and maybe that'll ease it. And then I did that. And that, didn't make it better. And so then I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to stop doing music and I'm going to get like a regular job. Mm -hmm. But then thinking that would be less stressful, but then I do, I did what I did do, which is like be totally insane. (laughs) And like, you know, and still like six months into having this new job, I, they made me COO of this big, you know, (laughs) multi, multi, multi million dollar construction company. Oh God. And then And then what I realized is in my whole life, like all of a sudden, this was the first time I was by myself all the time, like driving from place to place and doing that. And I just kind of realized that like this simmering thoughts that I kind of buried in other people's work, um, I couldn't really get away from anymore. And and like, it's like so funny to think about it, but like, I really did think like, I need to do, take this job and be like a regular ass person right? so that I can be like a better dad and husband. I mean, I really did go into to it thinking that, um, but the outcome was kind of the reverse, which was, I was fucking miserable mm-hmm. and I was having a lot of like, you know, pretty scary thoughts, you know, like things that I was like, things that, I mean, things that I just like, I kind of couldn't shake and like, I couldn't really, I didn't have any way to hide them anymore. And I didn't even have anybody to talk to about it. I mean, what I didn't realize is the spending your life making records with all the people we've been talking about. I mean, you're surrounded by just these big, beautiful, wonderful personalities. So even when you're not talking about what's going on, you just are filled with this kind of camaraderie and, you know, like, 
And then all of a sudden I was alone. I'm working a job I didn't care about, putting the same kind of passion into it that I've put into everything I've done in my life. Mm-hmm. And I was just coming home and drinking and tuned out and like totally not present for my daughter, not present for my wife, unaware of what was going on in their lives and mm-hmm. totally basically doing anything I could to not think about what <laughs> I was thinking about. Yes. And it, and then, um, and then like a really kind of crazy thing happened, which was we got asked to do a battery reunion show. And so we, I was kind of like, yeah, fuck it. You know, I didn't ever like doing that stuff when I was producing a lot of records. I just yeah. felt un- uncomfortable, but I wasn't doing anything anymore. So I said, yes. And then out of the blue, the guitar player one day sent me a song mm-hmm. And I haven't written lyrics in 20 years. And he sent it to me at like six o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And I just sat down and I wrote a song for the first time. It's this song called My Last Breath. And it literally poured out of me like, like, (laughs) like, you know, like if you shake up a bottle and take the cap off, (laughs) you know, it was like really one of those things. And it was like, And then I remember like my wife saying to me, like, like even just leading up to doing those shows and doing that song and working on that, just my wife saying to me, like, you seem way more here right now. And, and then the the short version is I just started writing and writing and writing and writing. And I was, I mean, it was really hard at first. Um, But then I started looking at what I was writing and I'm like, holy shit, like, it, it would it would be maybe just, like, something weird if, like, some of this was coming out in one song, but when it's, like, every, when these themes keep coming up and they keep coming up, like, I need yeah. to, like, I need to, I need to pay attention to this, and the funny thing about the record is, if I, I might have said this earlier, but I, I just never thought anybody would hear it, you know what I mean? I'm in my yeah. 40s, I hadn't played music in, 20 years. And even when we first started demoing this stuff, I couldn't even get people to listen to it. Right. Like I would send it and like, you know, I mean, I'm guilty of this too. Like a bunch of 40 year old dudes send me like, Oh, we got a new band. I'm like, okay. You know, (laughs) like, sure. You know, and (laughs) anyway, the interesting thing, and this is like, it kind of brings me back to like, why, I feel good about like kind of dedicating my life to like hardcore and punk and music in general is that, you know, the kind of story of be well and me is that I literally put on paper things that I had spent pretty much my whole life feeling like if anybody knew this about me, they would not want me in their life. They would not want me. They wouldn't, want to trust me to be in charge of their project. They wouldn't sure. want to be my friend. They wouldn't want their kids to come over, you know, like, right. Right. Yeah. Like the things that the storyline in my head was I'm the only person that thinks this and I'm fucked up and I'm a phony and I am fucked, you know, like right. this is right. I'm totally alone here. And this is, people are going to now know this and there's no turning back. And it's been just, the total fucking opposite. It's like, I feel 
a million times more connected to my wife and daughter. I feel like my relationships with my friends now that they like, like the thing about it is <laughs> I make more sense when you know this part of me. So if you don't know this part sure. of me, yeah, you might just think like, Oh, that he's being a fucking dick or like he, you know what I mean? Like, or whatever. But if you do know this part of me, then, then those things have like context and, right. Right. The other thing is, little did I know that there's like so many people that have had the exact same feelings and experiences and, <laughs> and it's so amazing to like kind of share with the world the thing that you felt like would make you even more isolated only to find out that like you actually are really loved and cared for and respected and you aren't the only person that's feeling those things. So for me, it's just been like, I mean, like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be dealing with like mental health stuff for forever. It's not, I mean, it's not, you know, it's like my both sides of my family, I'm loaded for it, but it's like, I have an outlet to like talk about it. And I have a community of people that like totally understand and like, and just doing the band is like, I mean, I'm like a different person right now, you know? I mean, it's, it's like, I feel like it's like, I just having things on the horizon, (laughs) that alone, it just things that like you committed to doing. Mm -hmm it's such a big deal for me when I'm like, my mind starts to go to places that aren't healthy. It's like, well, you got to do this. And, you know, people are depending on, you know, like, and, and when I was working that job that I didn't care about at all and everything was just like the same shit, different day. And the only benefit was a paycheck that, you know, I was paid much better than I ever was paid as a producer, but I never cared about money. And like, you know, my wife, and I, we, you know, I drive a Hyundai and we shop at Target and sure. we're, you know what I mean? It's like, I got like three pair, two or two pairs of jeans. Like yep. <laughs> we just don't need too much. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's, yep. and, 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 and it's also kind of like the funny thing about too about it is that like, I always kind of felt, well, if bands thought this, if they knew this, they wouldn't want to trust me, you know, who wants like, you know, part part of being a producer is being captain of the ship. It's been the opposite. Bands are like, Oh, we want to work with Brian. Like he gets, (laughs) we're we're at emotionally, like he's going to understand what. So, I mean, the one thing that I've definitely taken from all of this is like, you can't, you can't like hide from the world. You just can't do it. It, It's, it's like I spent a lifetime letting things eat me alive from the inside. And, and then I woke up one day and I was like a shell of a human, you know, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't okay. I just wasn't. And fortunately, like my, my wife, you know, like for the first time we were like super financially comfortable, but she was like, you have to fucking quit. And yep you need to be doing something creative. Like it doesn't need to be producing. It doesn't need to be playing. It needs to be something you love and care about and like whatever we have to do to facilitate that. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing about that is like, 
you know, you have kids and your life is, you know, you get into the routine and sometimes you forget why you're even together with not like, I'm not saying like, I didn't, you know, but that was such a reminder of like, Oh, this is why we're like, this is why we are together after 27 years or whatever. It's that you understand and you want what's best for me, even if it's at a cost to you. Yeah. So Brian, I, I would want to keep going, but I, that is such a beautiful way to pull this episode together. I would like a shill if I did something shitty and tried to keep going, man, that was, that's beautiful. Then, and I, from the audience perspective, you made a record that it's doing the, it's doing that service for others. I appreciate that. That part of me, the exact same thing of like, carrying the load of so many people on your back and not dealing with your own thing just buries you further and further underneath of it. And you lose yourself and then you turn around and you, you know, you're, you can't get out of it. And I, to, to hear how honest those lyrics were on that record, like jarring when I first heard it and then to hear you explain, like it poured out of you that way, that makes complete and total sense to me. I, right. I, I, it's a very, it, it's a beautiful, I, it, that's going to sound weird, but it is a truly a beautiful album and it's a beautiful experience to listen to. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. And I'm so happy we've connected. So you don't be a stranger now. I absolutely won't because there's so much more I want to ask you about and like zero in on All albums. Right. So this means you'll just have to come back on the show at some point. R- r- round two. Round two. All right. Um, so, so Brian, before we go, um, I, where you guys have, uh, you guys have be well shows coming up, uh, with comeback kid strike anywhere, one step closer. These dates are in November. Um, yeah. Can they find out, uh, where can they find the be well record, find out about the tour dates and where can they connect with Uh, if they'd like the be be well Instagram is probably the best it's be well HC. Mm -hmm. Um, and then um, my Instagram, my personal Instagram is Salad Day Studios. Mm-hmm. And we're pretty, I'm pretty, I do my best to try and respond to everybody. So you um, I can, I can attest. You do respond. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so feel free to hit me up. <laughs> and yeah. And then we, yeah, we have a lot of shows. We have that. We have a little run with Boyce That's Fire. Mm-hmm. And then we have just announced some shows with H2O. And then we're doing, Come back, kid, and then we're um, strike anywhere here, and then we're going to Europe as main support for Come Back Kid. Awesome. And then I'm gonna some. We're not allowed to announce it, but I'll announce it here. In the fall, we're doing Hot Water Boys. It's fire in Europe uh, with Sam. I am. Oh God. So <laughs> yeah. I, when I saw that tour, I was like. Why the fuck is it not here? That's like yeah. So we're this. we're special we're special guests on that because it, it's not going to get announced until after comeback kit. But gotcha. unless you have like this diehard German fan base for your show right now, I think we're safe. You're good, as far as I know. That's not a not a thing. So <laughs> yeah. So so I, it's actually like a shitload of shows. I, it's like crazy when I look at the list of it all um, because. We've only played eight shows. Holy shit. Right now. <laughs> and then we have like 50 shows in the next four months or, or something. So that's insane. It's it's exciting. And I I love my bandmates. And it's like 
it's just it's not combustible at all. It's just like a bunch of dudes yeah. that like, I mean, I've made records with all their bands. So it's like, sure. they kind of yeah, like, it helps. <laughs> and be well, me in the band is like, uh, it's funny. It's kind of, it's like the total opposite as me as a producer. Cause like, instead of like pushing everybody, I'm just so fucking appreciative that yes. they're willing to go out and lose money. Yes. And help me with my <laughs> my midlife crisis. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the your midlife crisis is having a positive effect. So please keep, yeah. please yes. keep doing that. Yes, it is. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, and we of will course. definitely do this again. There's so much more I want to talk to you about. So we will we'll we'll say this we're we'll table this for the next time. Yes, sounds good. Thank you. Yep, and we will talk to all you guys next week. Later.